Civil society organizations agonize a lot about how they can spur more innovation and creativity in their organizations. But how to do so and what exactly stands in the way? Are the reasons related to organizational systems and processes that don't welcome innovation? Or is it really more due to leadership mindsets or broader organizational culture related reasons? I decided to interview Shervin Fekri of Board of Innovation, an interesting agency based in Europe, but with global operations, which coaches private sector companies, but also NGOs and donor organizations in how to spur more innovation. Shervin first, before the interview, gave me a very worthwhile tutorial in how organizations can be coached to become more innovative in their ways of working. He can compare across sectors, so you will find my interview with him quite illuminating. In an era in which NGOs are sometimes characterized critically as, quote, dinosaurs or, quote, legacy organizations, you'd better listen in. Hello, and welcome to NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye. My name is Tosca Bruno van Vijfijken, and I'm the founder and principal consultant at Five Oaks Consulting. I have over three decades of experience helping leaders in civil society manage change, invest in cutting edge leadership development, lead organizational culture change, and strengthen effectiveness. I'm also a thought leader on these issues, including as co-author of the book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs, which is read by civil society leaders across the globe. If you are such a leader and want to look change right in the eye, this podcast is for you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to NGO Soul and Strategy once again. I am not an innovation specialist. However, I've been interested for years in the question why many NGOs express a wish to become more innovative and yet are struggling. They self-report that this can be quite um, challenging to to develop an an innovation-focused organization, but also culture. What can organizational leaders and managers do about this? So I started to learn from some innovation specialists wherever I could and integrated that content also in some of my past senior leadership training programs. Then Shervin Fakery and I got introduced to each other on LinkedIn, right? And he was kind enough to educate me further um, through sharing his organization's um, approaches and materials with me. And his organization is Board of Innovation. We'll talk about that in a moment. This was all super interesting and helpful to me. So interviewing Shervin was uh, for the podcast was a natural next step so that you too can benefit from his knowledge. So welcome, Shervin. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. Oh, it, it, thank you for the, uh, the insights you're going to share with us. I, have, um, I know it's going to be good. So uh, 
listeners, please, maybe I should first introduce uh, Sherwin Fakery a little bit more. He's the Global Social Innovation Lead at Board of Innovation, which is a strategy and business design firm which coaches for-profit and not-for-profit organizations in how to become more innovation-capable organizations. And that's my language, by the way. And in a moment, uh, Shervin will talk more about what Board of Innovation does concretely. He was the co-founder for the Netherlands arm, if you will, or affiliate of Board of Innovation. Um, and he is a senior business designer and innovation strategy, strategist. So tell us a little bit first, Shervin, about the core services offered by Board of Innovation to clarify what role you play when you uh, consult and coach with organizations and what kind of services do you provide? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so as you mentioned, Board of Innovation is a, a strategy and business design firm. Uh, we typically work with large uh, corporations and help them define their innovation strategy. Uh, we help them with business design, which is basically uh, designing testing, uh, and eventually launching new products, new services, and new business models. And we also help them to build the capabilities that they need uh, to work on their innovation strategy and to create new uh, products. Uh, I joined Board of Innovation around four years ago. Mm. Uh, when I joined uh, in the Belgian office, uh, I started working also with our corporate clients, made in the financial industry, banks, and insurance. Um, and then... Uh, when I joined, there was already a group of our colleagues, uh, two of our founders themselves, and uh, other colleagues that were working on, uh, they were trying to figure out what we can do in terms of social impact. So what mm -hmm. kind of projects we can work on either within corporations or with the nonprofit sector, or even in yeah, independently as a consultancy, what kind of projects we can work on which have more of an approach uh, or more of an angle of social impact in there. Um, so I joined them having those conversations and later on I started uh, taking the lead on that to see uh, if we can take different paths, experiment them and see what as uh, what we call that social team uh, could do. Mm. Uh, and that's when we started working more and more with uh, the nonprofit sector, uh, mainly from one and two smaller NGOs. We started having more and more traction and now we have a quite interesting portfolio of uh, NGOs and international organizations that we have been helping in the past few years. And that's what you and I are going to talk about, right? We're going to mine your, your observations on, on those, uh, those international social sectors. Um, why do you feel compelled to work uh, with social impact organizations personally as a professional? Um. So knowing what Board of Innovation offers, which is, as I mentioned, helping organizations define where they want to go in terms of strategy in long term and how they can get there through innovation, through different methodologies, through different uh, toolkits and the mindset that comes with it. Um, yeah, we started noticing that nonprofits have the same issues. Uh, sometimes we tend to see them as different from corporates or they tend to see themselves very different from corporates. But eventually, when you talk about the challenges, there are a lot of similarities. Um, and there is a lot of best practices that they could take from the, mm. the profit sector, from the corporates. Um, and seeing how interesting and important it is to bring those best practices from corporates 
and how eye-opening that has been in different you know workshops and sessions and trainings for the nonprofit sector uh, people. Uh, we just felt like there is something in there. Uh, you could do more of that. Um, yeah, because eventually we are talking about large organizations, for profit or nonprofit. Yeah. The main reason that change is difficult within them is indeed the size, all the internal processes, it's the culture, it's the mindset. Um, and yeah, if some corporations have managed to navigate through those complexities, uh, create um, new ways of working and create new methods, which could help them work on the next big thing. Uh, yeah, nothing stops you from bringing the same learnings to, um, of course, tailoring, customizing, but bringing them to the nonprofits as well. Yeah, it makes sense to me. Um so let's get practical here. Uh, what does Board of Innovation practically do? What steps do you take client organizations through in strengthening their ability to innovate? What roles do you play practically as an innovation coach? Um, so coaching is one of the services that we have. Um, so there are different offerings that we have. Uh, again, as I mentioned, under innovation strategy, you have different ways in which you engage with um, a client and help them. Uh, it could be that, for example, a corporation, well, hopefully, uh, or an organization has a long-term strategy. They know where they want to go, where they mm -hmm. want to be. Uh, but you could discuss how you're going to get there, right? So um, what kind of innovation architect do you, archetype do you have? Are you an organization which mainly explores outside and tries to find opportunities outside itself and then goes, for example, for partnerships and acquisitions? Are you an organization which wants to learn how to experiment more internally and then actually build everything from scratch yourself? So all of this, so these kind of questions that have to be asked and answering those is the innovation strategy work that we do. So if an organization says we want to uh, experiment internally and we want to actually be involved in building all the new products and services, then you have to give them a different set of uh, capabilities and you have to design different kind of programs for them like internal incubation programs they might need to run many designer sprints uh, they will need to do different things to get to those new products and new services um, in some cases we are more of facilitators and coaches but actually now we are increasingly more hands-on and we are doers so we run the experiments for them we do design the products for them uh, getting the expertise from them we do bring other experts other players from the market um, into the collaboration as well to get their perspective as well so our role is really different across different uh projects sometimes it's more on the strategy side sometimes we're actually very much hands-on uh designing new process uh, new products new services and testing them uh for example different markets so the role is really flexible let's say the same has been the case with the nonprofits. I see. That's interesting. I used the term early on in your answer, innovation archetype that got my attention, where you yeah. explained, yes, some organizations are more prone to seek to seek innovation um, sources, if you will, outside, and others are more prone to experiment inside and uh, try to iterate from, from there. And we'll talk more about these kind of archetypes and what what in what um how they are shaped, what shapes them. Talk to us a little bit, Sherman, about the common challenges you see international social sector organizations have in wanting to become more innovation friendly. Um, so a disclaimer is that I'm not expert in 
this kind of organizations, you are the expert, but maybe from innovation expertise perspective, yeah. uh, what I've seen is that um, so all the organizations that I've been working with are quite big. Um, they have quite complex structures, um, you know, better like also in um, in UN agencies, in other NGOs, you have head offices, but then you have, you know, offices per country. Um, so compared to many corporations, these bigger organizations have quite a complex structure yeah. and, and where decisions are made um, and how they're implemented could be quite decentralized, um, while a lot of things are quite standardized across the organization. So there are many things that you're not really free to do, like not always you have all the flexibility to just ideate and just experiment and just launch new things. Uh, while from the other hand, since these organizations are in many countries, you have a lot of differences between them as well. Mm. Also, in terms of what are the goals? What are they trying to achieve? How do they do this? You have massive cultural differences between different uh, country offices, for example. So that's an interesting thing. Like they're not managed like a corporate, which is, you know, managed from headquarters from a country and the culture is just drops from the top and everyone has to comply. Um, organizations are interesting. These ones are big ones and they have uh, complexities. Um, I would say the culture piece is the biggest topic mm-hmm. and culture, not in a fluffy sense of it, but actually uh, in terms of what we create and then cultivate. So all the processes that we have created, the org design that we have, uh, how we have decided that things should happen, the order of things, um, the, the culture piece is really important. And each time we try to uh, work on the innovation strategy, um, we have a lot of discussions around definitions. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of work to be done there. Probably we can get more concrete and practical as we uh, talk to each other. Yeah. Can I interrupt you for a moment? Um, you see a lot of discussion around definitions. And I wonder what is that all about? Um, yeah. So, um I think here, not as a consultant, but as a basically citizen that could look at the NGOs. Um, so many of the NGOs were started actually quite small with a clear cause in mind. They wanted to move the needle on a specific cause, um, but then they grew. And I'm very happy that they did grow mm-hmm. because they tried to take on more responsibility, uh, raise more funds, do more programs. Uh, however, then I think at some point with, with many of them, the balance was a bit gone. Like your focus should be on a cause. You're trying to solve a problem. Um, and hopefully your your view on, on things is that we want to get this done. We're going to fix this and then hopefully disappear because our job is done. We want to go to the next thing. Uh, but you have been growing in an unsustainable way in the sense that you are too big now. Uh, you're an organization with a few thousand people. You have a lot of internal things going on. Um, and a lot of work that is happening is around the internal complexities. So yeah. very often the external cause that you are trying to fix or contribute to, the fact that you have people that you have to explain your mission to and then get their support, that is sort of not forgotten, but a bit like pushed. That's a little lost back. in the shuffle. Yeah, because you have a lot to do internally. Oh, because right. of the internal complexities uh, and uh, of the organization structurally and culturally, and also because of um, the transaction costs that come with that, as I often call exactly. that, the, the amount of internal deliberation. Yeah. 
And this happened also with the corporates, right? Like as they grow, uh, there is a lot more happening inside. If you count the number of meetings that are happening on a daily basis, maybe eight out of 10 are about like internal, what I call definitions. Like we're always talking strategy. We're always talking alignment. But then eventually if you zoom out, yeah. you know, where is the customer? Where is the user? Where is the thing that we're trying to achieve? Um, and that's an interesting insight to have. Of course, it's also easier to criticize than do something about it. Yeah. Um, but that's a big issue because eventually you end up with um, very much siloed organizations in which uh, a lot of people are doing something internal, but they really forget why the whole organization exists. Um, and they're also limited in the sense that they can't really simplify what they're working on uh, to make sure that there is much more time and budget and energy left for the actual cause that is the key reason they exist. Mm. In the corporates, when this happens, you say, hey, let's become more customer-centric. Like, let's try to um, yeah, reallocate that energy and time and money to what actually matters. Yeah. Um, let's not have discussions without the customer at the table with us, for example, to put right. it in simple words. Uh, I think nonprofits have the same need uh, because, yes, they don't have customers, but they have many stakeholders that are impacted by them just like customers. So you have yes. the beneficiaries, you have your donors, you have the citizens. You actually have way more stakeholders. Yes. Um, and it's important to have them more involved. Um, and they are not that interested in your internal complexities, right? They want to no, be No, they're not. They're not. Yeah. So let's, let, um, well, I'm going to ask you in a moment, I'm going to kind of lob uh, uh, four or five challenges that you've told me about in, in our past sessions and, and have you elaborated on that. But before I get there with you, can you think of a few positive outliers? So social sector organizations that are that find it easy or manage to be more innovation focused um, and what attributes makes them such positive outliers do you want to name them or just talk about the, the more about the attributes that they have if you're comfortable naming them that's entirely up to you but certainly mention what strikes you about them what makes them more innovation capable yeah um so maybe more than comparing different organizations to each other what i can say that within these organizations you have certain parts of them which they just have to be more innovative right so for example if you talk about the program side of um, nonprofits, that where they are actually constantly on a day-to-day -day basis solving problems in the field yeah innovation is just there and uh, if it's not there, then you have a big trouble. <laughs> yeah. Because that's their job. Their job is problem solving. Um, ironically, if you go to them from where I'm sitting in Amsterdam and call them and say, hey, you people on the field solving problems, I have an interesting methodology for you. Yeah, ideally, they don't even have time for this because they should be naturally in, uh, applying innovation every day and they should naturally have the methodologies and way of thinking. So that's where things happen, even if they don't really call it innovation, mm. uh, because they're just doing it. Mm. Um, when you look at the other side of the organization, so not on the field, not where the programs are, are being run, but where, for example, the marketing, the campaigning, the fundraising partnerships is happening. Um, I have seen a lot of good things um, in 
yeah, communication, fundraising, all those that I mentioned, because um, they deal with people, they deal with donors, they deal with citizens, they have to convey a message, they have to um, get response in terms of people wanting to volunteer or donate or contribute. In yeah. different. So I think a lot of good things happen. There's a lot of willingness because there's also the pressure, like, you know, there are people that you have to yeah. somehow back to your cause. Uh, but then, of course, you could judge if all organizations are doing the right things. And there we can talk a lot. And there I would say, I think a lot of change is needed in the way they look at the um, potential donors and what they do to get there, get to the goals. Okay, well, maybe um, in answering uh, in a moment some of these um, challenges uh, that I'm going to throw at you to see what you, how you think they apply, maybe you can... um, give some examples about that marketing, communication, fundraising perspective, since you say there's a lot of richness there in in examples of what can go right and also what can go wrong. Um, So let's talk a little bit about these examples of mindsets. So you've talked to me in the past, you say, um, um, let me just see here. So yeah, you've, you've told me, for instance, about that you have seen leaders having an overconfidence in their ability to project, I think, to project into the future, you you meant, right? You've talked about the fact that you've noticed that leaders and managers can, um, that they, you see them getting bogged down in the feasibility and compliance aspect of a potential innovation and not staying focused long enough on the desirability and viability of an innovation uh, project. Can you talk a little bit about your observations in those uh, realms? Yeah. Um, again, this is in nonprofits, but also in corporates. So it's not right. something special to the sector. But um, so in innovation, you have this three main lenses, right? Whatever concept you work on, you want to make sure it's desirable. So it's desired by uh, its customers, but also other actors that are going to be impacted by it. You want to make sure it's viable. So it's going to create value for your organization, but also others involved. And that is feasible. And feasibility is, yeah, basically means that you have the technical capabilities to make a solution work, that it's legal, that it's compliant, and that is fitting your organizational strategy. Um, what we typically see in corporates as well, but in NGOs maybe a bit more, is that there is a big bias towards feasibility. Mm-hmm. So we start projects not because they were desired by someone, Externally, we start them because our strategy said so. Or we start looking into a technology because we heard there is this new technology. We feel like we have to do something about it. But then if I ask, but what is this doing? Like what problem is it solving or what opportunity is creating? We don't know. Um, At the same time, uh, many ideas that come in from a desirability perspective. So a a segment in in a society tells you, I want this or I want that. We might even do some ideation, come up with some concepts. Very often the ideas are stopped or killed or not paid enough attention to because they don't match our strategy or because they don't fit our internal processes or because they don't fit our um, yeah, compliance and legal aspect of organization. Mm. There one question that yeah, you have is that Eventually, most of our, well, all of our internal stuff, like regulations, processes, compliance, strategy, we define them. So if you really find an insight out there in the reality, in the markets, uh, 
Mm-hmm. It requires you to change your internal legal and compliance and strategy, you should be able to. And there you often get a very harsh answer, which is like, no, those things we cannot change. Because okay, so there's no agility you're observing. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then at the same time, so if an organization tells me, look, inside things are so rigid, we can't change them. Then what confuses me is like, but then how do you want to nudge the citizens to become donors? Like dynamics outside the organization are way more complex. If you cannot change stuff that you define yourself uh, internally, uh, it's going to be really a big challenge for you to become this, you know, um, thought leader in the society, in the market, who could actually influence people, nudge them to do certain things. Um, So you find you need to find that balance, right? Like to what extent? We uh, emphasize the importance of feasibility and how we can bring desirability um, a bit more to the front or to the center. Got uh, it. Got yeah. it. And how about that um, that comment that you made to me about uh, people, especially leaders and managers, thinking they can project way into the future or further into the future? I believe, if I recall it right, that you think is either uh, feasible or desirable even. Um, So if I remember that comment clearly, uh, I think it's, I'm not sure if they're overconfident in seeing the future. Okay. There is a lot of, there are a lot of biases. Like if you have done something for 30 years or 20 years, many leaders are just convinced that it's going to be like that for the next 20 years as well. But we don't have proof points for this, right? And many things have changed so fast, so suddenly in the past 10 years that you should just uh, be a bit more open to extreme scenarios. So whatever has worked for 20 years doesn't have to work for 10 more or 20 more. So mm. that's one thing. The other thing is, um, yeah, there are certain things happening out there. Like if you look at millennials, Gen Z, you know, we know. Uh, in terms of new products, new services, new business models that are popping up, new technology. There is a lot happening. And um, again, if you think that your industry won't be impacted by this massively, it's a big risk, right? Yeah. Um, Nonprofits, many of them, that's your expertise, you know better. They are based on a model, also a financial model, which is quite old. Um, It's quite old. It has a lot to do with the aid economy it has a lot to do with yeah. transactions well if you just look at the fact that NGOs were there uh, and a big part of the reason that they were there was because they could bring a few things together one is expertise the other thing is that they could make sure transactions work and get to where they should go to just by looking at the transaction part of it a lot is changing with the smart contract with the blockchain with the crypto so um now, if you're lucky in NGOs, are like one or two projects looking into it. Yeah. Uh, but that's a big thing. I mean, that's uh, even if as a scenario you consider is a thing which could change your business model completely in a few years. Right. And sometimes we feel like leaders don't take it as serious. They feel like it's a nice to have projects. Yeah, we can also look at that. But it's actually a bit bigger than that. It's much bigger than that. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Interesting. There are so many angles to, to this. Um I um, that also makes me think of of what Anmai Cheng says in a, in a book on lean impact, right? That you need to stay, you need to be in love with the problem a lot longer before you move to being in love with any solution that you're you're coming up. I um, that's that's one um, kind of 
saying that has stuck with me from uh, from Anmai Chang's uh, work. Um, you've also talked to me in the past about, and I recognize that very much, is NGOs being rather process-oriented versus, that's my language now, outcome-oriented. Does this matter if we want to be more innovative in terms of our cultures? Yeah, um, and I think it makes a lot of sense that larger organizations, um, to make sure things work and to reduce the risks, they go for processes that absolutely make sense. Uh, however, I think I would, would be nice if each time we are about to create a new process, we question the reason. Uh, we shouldn't be creating processes for the sake of creating them. Mm. Also, some processes should be removed when mm-hmm. risk is gone. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that often does not happen. Yeah. So if you're putting a process to ensure that something goes smoothly and well, um, you should also constantly try to simplify those processes or remove the unnecessary ones which are blocking um, other things from happening. Um Innovation, or just let's drop the word innovation. If you want to be fast, if you want to be quick in spotting needs in the market, in the society, in designing solutions and launching them, like very often when we talk about being fast, you spot something in the news, you have to take a week or two to figure out a solution and launch in a month. If you want to be this fast, um, yeah, corporate, many corporates and NGOs right now are not um, good environments for this. Like it's going to take you 25 emails to send here and there. You have to align with um, your branding, your communication, your legal, your finance to do a very small experiment. You want to run two, three online ads or run a little landing page to test something. Just to do that, you will need to talk to 20 people in a month or two. So um, there are so many processes and there are so many blockers internally, which don't basically let you be quick in testing ideas, which might also not work. I don't want to call it failure. You might want to test many, many things Mm -hmm. out of which one or two work, but to get to those things that actually work and function, you need to test uh, many more ideas. Many organizations are not fast enough and don't make it easy for people who spot insights and ideas to actually get things done. Okay. Uh, That has to change. uh, Yeah, yeah, makes sense. We've also talked in the past about that sometimes you see um, that innovation projects are springing up um, in several places, but it's actually very little alignment with strategy or strategic priorities. Now, mm-hmm. you did say before that we don't want to be too fixed about, oh, it has to align with, with strategy, but um that made me think of, of uh, besides you commenting in general about that, it made me think of, and this is a question to you, is am I right in thinking that um, innovation uh, for organizations to have the capability to be innovative, there has to be a balance between obviously unleashing creativity, but still also some discipline around that process. So there is freedom but balance with some boundary setting through, for instance, this is, it has to broadly fit in the strategic direction. And that can be, that, that, that's a very tricky balance. Can we talk about that? Um, Yeah. So I think um, there are different areas in which you need focus and there are different areas in which you need to 
let it a bit be more open. Okay. Uh, strategy is something that you need focus. You, you should know what you're trying to get done. Yeah. Uh, if you have a strategy which should lose, which is lose, right? Like you don't yeah. know. Of course, you know your cause if you're an NGO, for example. But if you don't know really what is your how, like what is your method to get that cause or contribute to that cause, well, that's a problem. Like you have a lack of basically strategic direction. Yeah. So I think strategy is where you need to have a focus. Then uh, when it comes to having more concrete challenges, problems, or opportunities that you have defined after doing your research, you have identified those, that should be also clear. Like you should know where in your organization you want to achieve something. Let's talk about fundraising. Um, you should know which segment in a society you want to focus on for acquisition. You should know where you have a churn, when you have a retention issue and you want to fix. So you should know these things. These are mm -hmm. things that actually come from data, right? So it shouldn't be even like guess. But there you should say, that's the problem. Let's solve this. You should not be strict on the solution. You should say, let's explore different solutions. The solution doesn't have to be an app, doesn't have to be a campaign, doesn't have to be solutions that we are used to. Let's leverage the innovation process. Let's do ideation. Let's be open. Let's be creative to see what different solutions we can get to to solve that problem, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where some things, things, sometimes things go wrong. Uh, we don't have a problem. Like if you ask what the problem is, yeah, we're like, there are 15 different ones. Um, but then some people push for like a very specific solution. Like mm. it has to be another campaign. It has to be an app. And I'm like, but why? So they need more flexibility to come up with the uh, interesting ideas. But in the strategy and an understanding of existing challenges, you need focus. You need to know what you're trying to tackle. Um, yeah. I hope I answered. In, in, interesting. Yeah. Another dimension I wondered about is, is the organizational structure. Uh, does it matter? So, for instance, um, as, as, a, as a lay person, in, in, um, it, it seems that a lot of private sector corporations that claim to be very innovative also often self-report, self-characterize as fairly flat organizations. Is that, is that true? And if that's the case, coming back to size, is it more difficult for mid to large size INGOs that, as you already said, have fairly complex internal organizational structures, pretty deliberative cultures, that they have a harder time? Do they not have the right organizational structure to be innovation friendly or do I have that wrong? Is that too simple? I'm just thinking because first of all, large corporates have the same challenge as large NGOs again. Like if you're large, yeah. you're large. You're like vertically, a lot of people between yeah. and the execution people. And then also you have silos, you have different functions. So when you're big, you're just big and it's going to be complex. Um, being a flat organization, which could be, for example, relevant if you're like a small startup or growing scale up. Right. Uh, you, you claim to be flat. Being flat also doesn't mean that, for example, there is no strategy and also doesn't mean that we don't have a way of getting things done. No. Uh, so you have like some principles, you have a method, you have a way yeah, of yeah. solving problems. Um, I think for NGOs also based on the uh, experience that I have had so far is it's important where you are as 
head of innovation or innovation team. Um, but there's a lot to be done. For example, each time we talk to people who are responsible for innovation within fundraising, well, there's a lot of dependencies because fundraising is doing fundraising with the, together with uh, communication, mm-hmm. together with marketing, because that's how they work together. Mm-hmm. Um, essentially and eventually for the programs. Yeah. So without these three that I can just count for now, working together, uh, it's very difficult to, for example, work on new innovative business models because a new innovative business model is going to need inputs from all these different angles. Yeah. I think for NGOs, it's important to figure out um, indeed the innovation governance. If you put innovation in one department mm-hmm. and you give them ownership of that department, you cannot expect more than incremental change projects because then they say, well, if you put me here, if all I can change and touch and modify is the website, well, I'm, all I'm going to do is to introduce one chatbot here and change a few colors over there. But the moment you bring the innovation, like you install innovation governance, which includes the program side, the partnership side, the fundraising side, that's when you might end up with more interesting um, product services propositions um, or business models. I see. So it is important where it is. So let me just um, go a little, uh, probe a little bit more. So you're saying when you ha- when you house your innovation focus or capability in a cross-organizational structure, if you will, Mm -hmm. that in principle can, uh, is is a friendlier environment for having more um, larger, more innovation at scale or with greater impact across the organization. Is that what I mean? It depends on what you want to get done. So, uh, because again, innovation is a very vague word as well. Uh, So if you're talking about, for example, building innovation capabilities. If you're setting up a team and you say, look, your job is to go around the organization, run trainings, make sure people understand what is design thinking. Well, that's one conversation. You could be anywhere. And then your job is to travel in the organization and train people. Um, If you are telling me, look, we want to leverage innovation tools and methodologies and mindsets to improve the way we do marketing or we do sales or we do this or that, then yeah, be in that silo, be in that department, work with everyone, get things done. Uh, but if you want, if your expectation from innovation is, you know, breakthrough kind of ideas, which are new business models, which are uh, completely new ways in which we engage with our um, end users, in this case, potential donors and citizens, well, that is difficult to do from one department's perspective. Mm-hmm. That's why you need like innovation team, which sits a bit above and can leverage all of these capabilities uh, to create something new. So it really depends. Your strategy as well, again, yeah. Okay, that's it's quite a quite complex then. Um, so you've already said that that large corporations are very similar to large INGOs. That size itself is is not a total inhibitor, but is definitely something you have to take into account, right? Yeah. In in designing your uh, innovation approaches or in for you as an external coach, if you will, to, to do that. So, and you did just talk about these locations uh, in the organization for innovation initiatives. So, you know, there are all these terms that we see innovation labs, innovation teams, you mentioned it, accelerators, incubators, etc. And I see those used in, in uh, quite a bit NGOs. Um, so some people say it's, 
you got to structure it. You have to house it that way. But others say, no, you have to kind of distribute that capability, that initial capability, much more widely than in a few places in the organization. What's your opinion on this? I'm going to guess that you're going to say, well, it depends, like you just said, depends on on both the setting and the need for innovation. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unfortunately, the answer is depends. <laughs> because, for example, when we do innovation strategy sprints, like we take the whole week with the client to yeah. answer these questions. Like for your organization, does it make sense to have a disconnected governance or a connected governance or a separate? They're all like different things. So none of them is like better or worse. It really depends on what you're trying to achieve and how you work as an organization. And so one thing that could be perfect for NGOX might be a horrible governance model for the other one. Um, yeah, I think sounds very good if you can spread this innovation mindset and culture and tools across the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then you have to make sure you're not just throwing around some innovation tools, right? Yeah. Because yeah. that's not the point. Uh, you do need a structured because there is a science behind it. When you have innovation process, there are activities, there are deliverables, there is exit criteria. If you don't achieve certain deliverables, you should not move for, forward. So um, one problem I see a lot with the nonprofits is that they're quite good in starting projects, but bad projects don't get killed. Right. Bad projects stay there for two years, three years, four years, five years. And then when you go to them after like three years and you say, hey, why don't you work on new things? Uh, you, you hear the answer, which is, oh, we don't have resources. And the answer is very clear. Like you cannot add just more resources because we cannot just hire more people or get more money for new projects. The problem is that many projects are stuck in the innovation process and no one really knows how to make a decision and who has to make a decision to stop them. So that's why if you just spread, the risk is that you might end up with more people doing designer sprints and coming up with ideas without anyone being there to filter the bad ones yeah. and execute the good ones. Yeah. So you might need a more structured, I'm not going to say centralized, but more structured ideation process in which you have clear decision moments in which you say, okay, we have 10 of them, five of them we do stop because of this and this and this, like you have reasoning for that. And for the rest, uh, as four or five departments, we can decide how we execute them. So you need the innovation processes and a structured system. Uh, could be spread around the organization, could be more centralized. That that depends a bit. Hmm. Super interesting. There's so many other angles I'd like to explore, but I need to um, think about time. So let me pick one more. Yeah, one, one view that I have heard is that, um, and maybe you've already talked partially about this, so but, um, that innovation programs and projects need to be protected from the usual compliance expectations, rules, and bureaucratic constraints, that there needs to be an overt protection that um, from them. Is that is that something you agree with? And if so, how does one do that practically? Um, yeah, so maybe that's where having structures such as innovation labs could help. Um, and to be... Uh, more clear on what I mean when I say you have to protect innovation projects from how the core works. Um, so we have seen this example a lot. Like you do, you want to do user interviews. You're in a sprint, you want to do user interviews with like 20 people in the street, uh, but you're not allowed because you're not allowed to talk to donors. Right. 
if you want innovation projects to work, you have to allow them. And also we don't have a month to wait for that permission, right? So ideally that's not a thing in the core as well, but if we agree that we cannot change all those processes uh, forever, Forever. let's make an exception for innovation projects. The same thing you want to run online experiments. Um, You will get in discussions. Could it be on brand? Should it be off brand? Who should I talk to? And sometimes it's just when you have all the permissions, it's too late. Like yeah. the whole momentum is gone. Your team is not anymore working together. Right. So you need to protect them in that sense. Um, in some innovation labs, also in the corporates, you might be even a separate legal entity, which allows to do this thing, these things, or you work with some external companies for that reason, because they could be your sandbox where you test things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's important. Also on the budget front, because many NGOs, you know, better, they need to know, for example, in September, what are all the projects that are going to happen next year? Well, innovation just doesn't work like that. Like if you're going to go through a process and at each stage you're going to evolve and yeah. maybe get stopped or pivot, yeah. you just not submit a budget a year before. Uh, how do we deal with that? So again, how would, and, and actually, that's a perfect segue into my last question, which is, as it often needs to be, of course, about money and resources, because that's where nonprofits are often so, so constrained in maybe even in a way where it affects their mindset. Um, so my understanding that for innovation to be able to happen, there needs to be access to unrestricted resources that can be moved around flexibly, right? That are not already committed or can be pulled from um, previous uh, commitments to be available to be rushed towards those um, pilots, for instance, that are showing some sign of being validated and need to be scaled up. That's quite difficult in a nonprofit environment. Have you seen uh, or do you have recommendations for how NGOs can make sure that they have both, they have these resources and that they can uh, keep them in a very kind of flexible at the ready state? Yeah. Yeah. There are increasingly more and more examples of that, uh, that NGOs have innovation funds and budgets, uh, which are not subject to, you know, the way you look at other kinds of budgets, like the reporting mm-hmm. is different. Sometimes you know that you're investing this for exploration, which means you won't have return of investments next year. It's just a different way of looking at that money. So increasingly, there are more and more examples of this. It is difficult to set it up, but it's possible. Um, But again, requirement, because we are not putting some money there for anyone to take and run random innovation projects. So um, starting point is to have, I think, a portfolio overview of your initiatives understand how many projects uh, you have already in your portfolio, where they are in terms of maturity, for how long they've been there, which of those you should stop, um, where you lack projects, in which areas you should have some projects, but you don't, you're not exploring those areas. And then use that innovation fund to close that gaps and to speed up the projects in the portfolio. Mm -hmm. So that fund should be used for that purpose and not for you know, let's just start um, a bunch of new ideas, which no one is going to finish. Uh, mm. Mm. So that's, again, that balance between um, flexibility, creativity, et cetera, 
Um, and some discipline that is still required, right? And that's what you, of course, and, and other colleagues at Board of Innovation are, are uh, coaching as well as giving hands-on uh, training and hands-on, even as you told us in the beginning, hands-on execution, right, mm-hmm. of, of testing, etc. Well, Shervin, this has been a fascinating conversation. I have, there's at least two or three more questions that I would have liked to, to ask, but our time is up. So, if people want to know more about Board of Innovation and about you, where should they go? So on our website, uh, boardofinnovation.com, you can find everything about the company itself, our offerings. We have a lot of tools that you could just download and use for different kinds of I know, they're offers. great. Yeah. Um, and then if you have any questions for me, you can find me on LinkedIn, Sherevin Fekri. And um, yeah, I think that should be that should work. That should work. And that is that is definitely uh, uh, plenty. So thank you so much, Shervin, for um, your insights. It's just been fascinating. I, uh, I love learning from, from you about this topic. And thank you, listeners. Um, if you found this podcast stimulating, then be sure to check out our other podcast episodes. In fact, more podcast content on innovation is part of an upcoming short joint podcast series with MZN International, a boutique consulting firm focused on the international uh, social sector. And we will be airing that episode as well as this one with, um, with Shervin in early 2022. Um, you can find many of these resources on my website. That is fiveoaksconsulting.org. That is the number five, O-A-K-S, consulting.org. Also on my new YouTube channel. Subscribe and you will always be the first uh, in, to be in the know. And we're offering another cohort uh, course for, on virtual team leadership skills that w- the dates for which will be um, February 28th to April 8th, 2022. So all of that information you can find on my website um, and on the course website, fiveoaks.teachable.com. And trust me, your team will, will thank you for the, um, the virtual team leadership uh, skills you will uh, learn in the course. This is Tosca, and I look forward to spending time with you on NGO Soul and Strategy next time. Thanks for listening to my podcast. If you valued the content, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so that other leaders of social change organizations can find it too. And if you want to learn more, have a look at my website, fiveoaksconsulting.org, where you will find blog posts, recordings of interviews with me, as well as information about my co-authored book, Between Power and Irrelevance, The Future of Transnational NGOs. If you sign up for my email list, you will receive a free sneak peek at the book. Or feel free to email me at tosca at fiveoaksconsulting.org or contact me through my website and follow me on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Till we talk again at NGO Soul and Strategy, the podcast for NGO leaders and managers who look change right in the eye.